today we're talking to Conrad. Hi, Conrad. Hi. And our discussion will focus mainly on QLKit. Um, so before we jump into QLKit, um, how about a few words from yourself? Yeah, uh, so I have kind of an unusual background probably compared to most Bozier developers. Uh, I originally got a medical degree, worked uh, in medical IT for many years. And at some point I uh, got uh, really excited about Lisp languages and people may know me for writing the book uh, Land of Lisp and also all the illustrations in there. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, since then I've been uh, working as a C CEO of my own company in the last couple of years. And, uh, and I was doing a lot of UI development in Clojure and uh, was using some of the frameworks that are available. And at some point I just got the itch and decided uh, that I kind of wanted things to work in a certain way and ended up developing my own framework. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you want to plug in the name of your company or anything that is important to say about? Uh, yeah, my company is called uh, Forward Blockchain. So we're doing uh, medical blockchain uh, applications. Uh, if you want to follow me, I suggest going on Twitter. Uh, I uh, post there under Lisperati. Uh, and uh, that's my main uh, social media sort of thing. And uh, I will also be posting some uh, presentations there in the near future. Cool. Um, so QLKit, uh, you mentioned you wanted a couple of things to go to be different from the framework you were using. Um, so what were the priorities for designing the uh, new framework? Yeah, so the first priority was just to have a framework that's really unsurprising. So um, I find that when, whenever I was using the different uh, frameworks, uh, that uh, there, there was often magic behind the scenes that I didn't quite understand, usually around how the screen refreshes, uh, how uh, 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 puts to the database uh, are handled uh, in terms of how temporary IDs are generated. Uh, so there's there's like several dis different places where you can have unexpected um, sort of complexity that makes it hard for you to understand what the uh, framework is doing behind the scenes. And so I wanted to do something that had as little as possible uh, of, of that sort of thing. So kind of going along the lines of the Rich Hickey essay where he talks about uh, uh, simple made easy, um, you know, not uh, uh, basically focusing on uh, uh, maybe having some extra uh, uh, complexity in your code is, is fine uh, as long as you, you keep all your different concerns cleanly separated and make it in, uh, write it in a way that the code is easy to understand. That was kind of the first priority. Uh, the second priority is that I really wanted components to be as heavily isolated as possible. So when I talk about components, I'm talking about a, uh, uh, a piece of code that's responsible for a part of the UI. And uh, this, this uh, piece of code has two responsibilities. One is it has to say what kind of data it requires in order to be able to uh, render itself. And then the second one is to return the information to the, the framework in terms of what uh, it should look like. And uh, um, I found that um, other frameworks uh, would often uh, not have those as isolated as I would like. And, and mm -hmm. to me, like the, an ideal component uh, uh, should be reusable in, in, different, in different places. So if, if, the, if the UI component uh, can be, re be reused in different parts of the UI, it should, even if uh, the context around it is completely different, that should work fine. 
and uh, uh, and I wanted to make that as easy as possible. Uh, the third priority is that I I feel that um, uh, the data transformations that have to happen in terms of getting data from the server to the browser client and to the uh, the UI uh, as we transform data, um, it should be possible for that those transformations to be completely arbitrary. Uh, what, what I didn't want to do is um, enforce some kind of uh, rules where we say, oh, a, uh, an item in the list in the UI corresponds to an item in a, uh, a row in a table on the, on the server. If you make those kinds of uh, rules, then uh, when you run into situations where that one-to-one -one relationship doesn't hold, the code can be very difficult to write. So, um, so QLkit uh, um, essentially re requires you that to uh, write some more code in terms of uh, moving data from the the UI and the client and the server. But in exchange, everything uh, is is really clear in terms of what is happening to that data and how it's being transformed. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe diving uh, into like one of those things, like. Components. So you said uh, the component should be responsible for querying the data. So there's some kind of a query language, and I believe uh, then the markup that displays the HTML, right? Yes. So uh, a component in QLKit does two things. It declares uh, what data it needs, and QLKit has its own uh, query language. So it's 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 basically just like the query language that you find from. Uh, 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 Facebook for, uh, called Graph Query, uh, and and it's uh, also similar to the query languages that from Netflix like Falcor or the pull syntax in Datomic. So all, all these are kind of similar, but QLKit is is really the, the most minimalistic version possible. So essentially, uh, a, a component can uh, 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 declare child compo uh, components of data that it wants to. Uh, in, inside the query language, a, a node can declare child nodes in terms of maybe a user needs to uh, fetch the name of the user or the address of the user. And then it can declare some parameters in terms of saying, uh, I want all users with this particular name. But that is uh, the extent of uh, what the uh, query syntax allows, whereas other mm -hmm. query languages often have a large variety of other uh, special syntaxes that uh, make it a richer language. So anyway, so the query language is very simple, and uh, a component says, "I need, in order for me to display a user, I need to know the user's name and the user's address, uh, or, or whatever it is." And and so that's one job of the component. The other job of the component is to uh, spit out uh, uh, what it looks like uh, with a render function. And uh, in that case, um, QLKit offers different options. So we we allow you to just uh, uh, return regular uh, React uh, um, components uh, and, and, uh, so that you, you can use something like Soblano or some other uh, 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 rendering uh, language that is popular with Clojure. Or on the other end, uh, if you use some of the accessory libraries with QLKit, uh, you can, um, it has its own way of, of uh, returning a, uh, an Eden data structure that allows for uh, uh, rich uh, descriptions of the the, uh, the DOM, which also includes um, uh, elements from Material UI uh, through a third-party library. 
So how does uh, how does this work? Well, how is the translation happening normally from the UI? Is it like a you know a tree, and then on the database you might have tables? So how does this work? Yeah. So the idea is that um, the uh, a, a DOM tree in a web browser is always a tree-like structure, and in the same way, uh, your uh, components uh, that uh, render the UI. Uh, in QLKit are also going to be in a tree-like structure. Um, uh, but then, uh, and, and, and this is important because it means that we can have some kind of idea of, of a context. So essentially, if a, a user uh, list component has multiple users, um, uh, the framework can keep track of what the ID is of each user. So this means if um, if you interact with one particular uh, user list item in a table, um, uh, the, 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 the component that manages that list item doesn't really need to know what the ID of the user is because um, just like when I do things uh, during my day uh, uh, as I'm walking around and uh, having lunch, I don't have to think about what my social security number is. So the, my social security number is my unique identifier. And in the same way, a component uh, that that is linked to a particular item in in, a, in in the database shouldn't need to know what its ID is. Uh, the the framework should uh, supply that as a context, and so that that's uh, one uh, core idea with how uh, we take advantage of the hierarchical structure of the uh, UI components to to, to manage that context, uh, and then um, if if you perform an action inside of a component. Uh, it generates a uh, a, a, a transaction, uh, uh, just like it, uh, uh, or, or other uh, web frameworks might call it an event. And so that transaction gets sent through the web framework, and then uh, there will be some process for converting that transaction into a state change, either inside of the client browser or in the server. And uh, uh, and that's kind of the, uh, the kind of the next uh, part of the system to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, it's very. It sounds very interesting when you say you don't need the ID uh, to send this to the server, and I'm just having hard times like understanding because normally this is what happens, right? We send the IDs, and then we get some kind of information back. But yeah, I think most of the uh, the the uh, frameworks in Clojure that use graph queries have the same property. So in Ohm, if you uh, if you update an address, you would just say, uh, "I would like to." update the address to be blah, blah, blah. That's what the transaction says. And you don't have to say, uh, uh, please update the transaction for ID 57298 to something. And the reason we don't want to do that is, again, because we want to, the, the component, uh, if the more we can isolate that component from the outside world uh, and, and make it so that it doesn't even need to know that there is such a thing as an ID, uh, uh, then that makes it the code easier to reuse. And it makes it uh, easier to, to debug the code. Um, yeah. So um, after we uh, generate a transaction, um, so transactions, uh, uh, the, the two most obvious transactions are uh, we want to read data. So we want to query data. Uh, and the other one is that we want to perform some sort of modification. And so um, uh, in, in a QL kit, what you do is you have uh, uh, query parsers. So these are functions that um, uh, 
take a, a query and uh, uh, and try to uh, basically fulfill the, uh, the the action that is uh, necessary for that query. So you might have uh, so so a query might be uh, give me a list of users, um, and so there would be a function that uh, uh, reads the list of users, and and there's probably going to be a function like that on the client and on the server. So the idea with QLKit is that um, uh, with QLKit we believe that uh, it's kind of pointless to just uh, solve the, uh, uh, the 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 UI and the uh, the handling of data inside the browser. We also have to have some solution that will run on the server. So the idea mm -hmm. is that um, there there are, there are, some uh, queries can be handled on the client and queries can be handled on the server. And there's a mechanism for deciding when uh, the server is required in order to process a query. So, uh, so, so you might have a read query on the uh, client, uh, you know, uh, please uh, give me a list of users uh, uh, and, and it may decide, uh, okay, we're gonna grab the list of users, but then also we need to check the server to see if there's additional users on the server. And, um, and then it also would have a, a, a read query using the same uh, syntax. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, and, and I should talk about the four types of parsers that, that you can have. One parser is for reading. Uh, so mm -hmm. basically give me a list of users. A second parser is for modifying where you say, okay, I wanna add this new user or I wanna uh, update this address on a user. Uh, the third one, is for uh, is called a remote parser, where you say uh, uh, this particular query requires us to uh, send something to the server, um, and the the fourth type is a sync uh, uh, parser, where uh, you you take the results from the server and the, uh, the 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 query that was requested, and on the on the client you basically figure out okay. Uh, this person wanted a, uh, a new user, and the server now tells me that the ID of this new user, the permanent ID, is 572. So I'm going to update the client state for that particular user to 572. And so, uh, so you have those four types of uh, parsers, and uh, and that's how uh, and you're responsible as a developer for writing those parsers. Mm -hmm. So if I would, uh, if we go through one of ex examples, so if I want to communicate to my remote server, um, which is not in the browser, I would use the third parser you mentioned to communicate with the server. And when would I, so for example, if I want to get user information, when would I use the first parser? Or I don't, I hope it's my, it's clear. My question is clear. Yeah. So this kind of depends, right? It depends on uh, how much of the uh, server side information you're patching in the browser. So maybe mm -hmm. that the browser already has all users, or uh, uh, it may be that uh, every once in a while it refreshes in case the you know, updates on the server. But the, the typical case is your app starts up, you ask for a list mm -hmm. of users, and then uh, this uh, you would have two you would have two parsers basically. Uh, one parser is the the read parser that says, okay, right. let's fetch all the users out of the the browser state. Uh, so there, there'll be an atom, a, a closure atom, in your uh, in the uh, the in your client side code, and you'll say, okay, please fetch me all the users. But what will probably happen is that um, if the app just started up, is that there are no users, um, 
so there will be a second, there's a second uh, parser, which is the remote parser. Uh, and, and when it sees that there's a query for users, the what that remote parser is responsible for is to say to itself, hmm, uh, from, uh, I've been programmed so that when people ask for users, I know that that's something that uh, the server knows about. Uh, and so uh, in, it, along with querying the local state for that, uh, let's also send that uh, that query to the server. Um, so, the, so to make this more explicit, um, a uh, when you have a read parser, the job of, the, of a read parser is to return the uh, the data. So basically, if I ask for a list of users, the data I get back is a list of users. Um, and and what a remote parser does is it says uh, you 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 hand the remote parser a query, and it decides. Uh, it, uh, it either returns null, which means uh, this is something, a piece of data that only resides on the client, or it returns uh, this uh, another uh, uh, query, which uh, should be sent to the server. So you can control uh, uh, at a very granular level what parts of, the, of each query you want to um, have the server handle. And then, uh, to, and then to finish it off, if you, if you do a modification, uh, uh, mm -hmm. there's a parsers for, you know, doing something like uh, please update the address. And usually that one will not return a value or it'll just return a, a true, true false rule because, um, in that case, we, uh, um, there's really no meaningful results that can be returned. But the one exception for that is, is if there's a, uh, if it's on the server and we, uh, got a, uh, ID, uh, from the, uh, the, the database software, we want to pass that on and say, okay. We've, we've now you know, added this new user to the database and we now have an ID for it. And then the, the last type of parser, uh, what it does is it receives two things. It receives the, the query that was uh, called and then it receives the data that was returned from the database. And it will basically merge those two together and say, okay, I know that this piece of data from the, the server belongs to this uh, item in the query. And so I now know how to update the, uh, the, the client um, uh, to, to uh, uh, update the, the correct uh, state on the client, and uh, mm -hmm. and whenever you you run any of these transactions on the uh, from a component, it will uh, usually trigger a refresh, and uh, um, and and you know there's some just like uh, with um, there there are several different cases where you uh, this you know you have to add some extra code uh, in terms of making sure the refresh is correct. So it, mm -hmm. it, the typical example is you you you, you press a, uh, the favorite uh, icon on a on a on a user in a list, and then there's a somewhere else in the UI there's a count for how many people you have favorited, and uh, so in that case, uh, two different components in uh, in different parts of the app need to update, and so uh, um, uh, yeah anyway. Yeah, all right. Um, yeah, I think this is uh, clear now. So from what you described, we have two parsers for more or less uh, local querying, if I can call them like this, from in the browser, and then the other two help us to deal with the server. Yeah, and then the the server has has those two from the local querying uh, uh, again, uh, except on the mm -hmm. server, of course, local means uh, local to the server. Right. Uh, and so that mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so in that way you can handle all the different uh, things and. Again, the, the, the goal is that when we say uh, inside a user, you know, please 
uh, uh, update this address, uh, we have to make sure that as all this parsing happens, um, that uh, the ID for the, the user uh, whose address we're updating gets uh, passed along everywhere all the way to the server. And so by the time it gets to the server, it knows, okay, this is, we want to update the address for ID 572. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and then the other tricky thing is if you're doing, uh, uh, if you're adding new, a new user, um, uh, we want uh, the UI to update immediately and, and to add a new role into the table. Right. But uh, uh, in order to do that, uh, usually we would have to have an ID for that user. Mm -hmm. But because uh, it takes time for the server results to come back, we usually assign a temporary ID inside the browser. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so uh, with QLKit, that becomes really easy because we can just create a temporary ID inside the uh, the local client state, and then um, when we and then when the sync parser uh, is triggered after the results from the server come back, uh, it now will receive from the server the actual ID for each item, and it can now easily um, uh, update uh, to get the uh, the client state to get rid of temporary IDs. So that mm -hmm. it has the, the correct permanent ID. Uh, for the rendering, you mentioned Sablono. Uh, so how is this? How is the rendering achieved? Yeah. So uh, QLKit is divided into three different libraries. The first one is just QLKit. The second mm -hmm. one is called QLKit Renderer, and the third one is called QLKit Material UI. So the uh, the uh, and the way that they differ is in terms of when you, when a component returns uh, uh, the information in terms of what it should look like, uh, each uh, library, uh, each each module for uh, QLKit handles that differently. So if you just use the core QLKit, and the core QLKit is really small, it's like 300 some lines of code, um, it will uh, simply expect the component to return uh, React uh, DOM elements. Um, mm -hmm. When you uh, uh, use QLKit uh, renderer, um, it will expect it to return an Eden data structure that's uh, essentially the same as Soblano or, or Hiccup or one of these libraries. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the third option is uh, if you want to go all in, you can use QLKit material UI as well. And then what it will do is it will uh, let you use uh, rich material UI material UI styled components uh, in the, uh, the, the when when you return your Eden data structure. So you can say, uh, when you say button, I want to draw a button, it will draw a nice a material UI button uh, in that case. Uh, and mm -hmm. one of the goals with uh, the way QLKit is designed is that we, in my view, all elements should be treated the same. So if, if I want to just display a uh, 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 you know, a, uh, 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 an LI item, you know, an HTML LI list item, like I, I should just, you know, be able to do that. And uh, if I want to call another QL uh, kit component, because we have a, a hierarchical nested component, one inside the other, then I should just be able to put in the name of that component and have that render. And then the, and then the third is that if I want to use some kind of uh, rich uh, uh, component library, that was built for React, and I want to import that into my project, such as the, uh, the uh, React Material UI library, then I should just be able to name those components as well, you know, whether it's a date picker or something, 
and uh, mm -hmm. and all of those can just be uh, 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 sent uh, in sort of uh, Sublano or uh, pickup style uh, Eden, uh, uh, and and it will know to do the correct thing. Um, so, what do you see as limitations of QLKit? Um, so, first of all, uh, unlike other libraries like Ohm or uh, Fulco or uh, Reagent, um, uh, this is still a pretty experimental library. So, I wouldn't really recommend it for production uh, use. Um, that said, uh, I use it myself very heavily, um, and uh, and it you know it's worked well for me for a long time, and it really did. Uh, scratch all of my itches and I'm, I'm, I really enjoy uh, doing uh, web development in ClojureScript uh, with this toolkit. Um, now, uh, uh, you know, some of the reasons, uh, some of the limitations it has is that uh, other uh, toolkits are far more focused on performance. So uh, um, React is already pretty fast, just vanilla React in, in a modern web browser. So for most typical apps, um, uh, if you use uh, uh, QLKit, you, you can build something that will have a, uh, uh, the ability to refresh at under 50 milliseconds uh, per frame, which is kind of what you want to have a, a modern, smooth uh, web UI. Um, but if you do something more complicated with animation, you can definitely get over that limit much faster. And in that case, you definitely want to use uh, some of the other frameworks, particularly the ones that um, allow you to that take a lot of uh, that use a lot of tricks to do shortcuts in terms of rendering. So with a lot of uh, closure frameworks, um, if uh, the framework can determine that a particular UI component, uh, a, ch a change, a, a mutation to, a, to the data of a particular UI component is is local to that component, it will be smart enough to tell React only to update that specific component, even if it's deeply nested inside of other components. So uh, oh, uh, 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 QLKit does not do that. QLKit will, uh, if there's a refresh, it will regenerate all the data um, using the parsers uh, to, mm -hmm. that's necessary to refresh all the components. And then it will, uh, it uses caching so that it won't trigger unnecessarily unnecessary React uh, re-renders, but it will uh, trigger all the parents of a uh, particular component if that component has changed. And so, uh, mm -hmm. uh, so this is a trade-off. You know, do you want something that that has a much simpler set of rules for refreshing, or do you want something that um, uh, uh, has higher performance? And and with with uh, QLKit, it definitely leans towards uh, simplicity. Um, and 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 so what one idea along these lines that you'll hear about in other frameworks is called idents, uh, which is a way mm -hmm. to link components directly to database tables. And again, this is something that uh, is, is a very uh, good optimization, uh, but but um, you know clearly is not generalizable for all UIs. And so QLKit tries to uh, avoid that approach. Uh, another thing is that. Um, uh, People that use uh, parsers for uh, web frameworks will uh, they find that uh, most of the complexity in your application will end up in the parsers. So being able to correctly uh, parse um, uh, the thing is it's your job 
to have to parse every query and, and these queries can get complicated um, and, and, to, and it's your job to fulfill the query, uh, that, that can get very complicated. Now, now uh, QLkit has lots of tools to try to mitigate the complexity of parsing uh, um, queries. Uh, you know, the, the main one being, of course, that it, it uh, uh, ha has a bunch of helper functions that let you break down the task of parsing into something that's also hierarchical. So you can say, okay, I'm going to parse uh, a list of users, and then there'll be a, another piece of code that's responsible for parsing one user, and then there's another piece of code that's just responsible for handling the address for a user. And so you can you can glue these parsers together uh, and call them in a uh, uh, in a, hi a, hi a hierarchical way to resolve a query. But but it, but that still doesn't get around the fact that a parser is doing two things. One is it is parsing the, the, the query, and the other one is that it's fulfilling the query. So many other frameworks will try to get rid of this, this uh, complexity by using some sort of declarative syntax for declaring the shape of the queries. Um, mm -hmm. Pathum being uh, the, 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 the more popular one. And, uh, uh, and that uh, approach can break, uh, help reduce the complexity, uh, but, uh, but it's still a trade-off because um, uh, you, you have to decide um, uh, you, you're adding you know, another tool uh, uh, to the tool chain. You have to decide maybe it's just easier for simple uh, parsing to just parse it directly uh, versus having to declare all, all your different queries. So this, this is a trade-off. And uh, um, what, what Personally, I've tried doing a declarative syntax for uh, a query for my query language, but I found that it, it always ended up more complicated than just handling the, the queries directly. Um, so th those are probably sort of the uh, the, the trade-offs that you do when you uh, use uh, QLKit. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, can we just unpack one more thing? So you said. Uh when you tried uh, with the parser, you, you figured it's better to do it directly. What do you mean by that? Well, you, you could basically say uh, that um, you could have so, sort of a declarative syntax where you say, okay, uh, 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 a user list has uh, a, a user as a child, and then uh, each user uh, has these uh, you know, four fields or whatever. And you, you could have a declarative syntax for that, and then what you would do is part of that declarative syntax, you would de declare handlers that says, uh, um, you know, if you uh, want to, uh, you know, for handling the address of a user, here's a function that, that handles that. And you, you, you could have sort of declarative syntax for describing that. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and what that means is that uh, it, it, re it removes one element common error when you're dealing with parsers, which is that... Um, you know, a uh, you you don't want a parser to call a child uh, something to, to parse a child if that child is not valid syntax. So if, if I have a, a user and I'm trying to uh, you know check uh, the field uh, you know miles per hour uh, uh, or, or you know call a a, a child co a, a query for miles per hour, that doesn't make any sense for a user. That makes sense mm -hmm. for a car. So so you. Uh, uh, so, so that's one type of error. The other type of error is obviously where uh, uh, you you uh, have you're parsing a user, and then that user has an address, and that user component 
should know uh, that user user parser, I should say, should know that there is a, a user address parser that it has to call in order to, to handle the, the address part of the, the parsing. Uh, and, and if you forget to do that, then uh, when people run the query, the address will be missing. Um, and so if you have a declarative syntax, you can prevent all those errors because uh, people, uh, because the, the framework can then use the, uh, the, 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 the declared syntax of the query language to validate uh, any query that comes in before it is sent to the handlers. Um, uh, and But there's a trade-off there, which is that you have to write all these declarations. And, um, uh, and, and I find that for myself, that writing all these declarations uh, mm -hmm. uh, created a lot of boilerplate and was more error-prone than simply handling the parsing by itself. But I may mm -hmm. change my mind at some point in the future if I can think of a clean way of declaring these kinds of relationships between the, the different query mm -hmm. components. Um, the, the other problem with uh, this type of declarative uh, query la uh, language description is that you now are uh, you now have two levels of abstraction because query languages are already a form of abstraction, and now you have an abstraction for describing the query language itself, and that uh, just gets kind of hard to think about. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, is there anything else when it comes to QL kit that we should discuss? No, I think we've. Um, uh, uh, let me think. Uh, no, I think we've described everything. Um, the uh, yeah, I mean, uh, um, as I said, I, I I wanted to just create something very simple for myself uh, mm -hmm. for doing uh, uh, web development that could handle complex applications, and uh, I, I uh, really like the way QLkit. Uh, turned out for that uh, mm -hmm. uh, application, um, and uh, but it there's no question that uh, there's a lot there's a large case component to QLKit. So if you use it, you're gonna um, you're, you know you're you're sort of importing my taste in terms of like how uh, web uh, development should work. And the same mm -hmm. thing is true for all the other frameworks. And I think this is why we see so many uh, uh, web development frameworks, both in JavaScript and closure it's because the amount of complexity in web development is so great that um there is no obvious correct way to solve all these problems and so you're you're kind of requiring uh you have to rely on one particular uh developer or, or a set of developers to, to come up with sort of a uh, their view of uh the, uh what the best way is to do web development and uh, and i think that there's still a lot of room for improvement uh, across the board uh, of how we do web development. And and it's really amazing to me that it took so long for virtual DOMs to be invented, uh, 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 given how long browsers and how, how long other technology like uh, uh, Ajax have been around. Uh, so I think it, it's, it wouldn't be surprising at all if a few years from now, uh, people do web development in a completely different way. And, uh, and it will seem completely obvious uh, what the right way is at that point, and it'll be completely different than what we're doing now. Um, so if I would like to try QLKit, uh, of course, there is a repo, which we will link in the show notes. Um, what are, are there any ways to reach out if there are any questions or anything like this? Uh, yeah, you can reach out to me on a list, uh, at, uh, on Twitter. Uh, as I said, my name is Luz Baradhi, 
Um, uh, you can also, um, uh, there is, there was at one point uh, on the, uh, on the uh, Clojurians uh, channels, there was a channel there for a QL kit. But uh, frankly, there aren't really a lot of people using QLKit other than me, so that uh, 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 so you you may not get very fast help on there. Um, now, there if you go to the repo at the very top, there is a uh, link to a medium post I did that's very extensive and it goes through mm -hmm. a full example. Uh, and there is also a lot of other documentation that is linked from GitHub and from that medium post that uh, shows several example apps. And of course, we have uh, the canonical to-do app that shows how uh, the basic uh, UL kit uh, uh, app design should be done. So uh, once again, thanks for uh, taking the time and talking about uh, QL kit. And um, I look forward to uh, where I actually will push it. Yeah, th thanks. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun doing closure development. So. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, consider supporting it by rating on the platform you're listening to, sharing with others, and supporting it directly by buying some video courses and learning Clojure Script and Clojure. You can check out the courses at jacekshe.com. That is J-A-C-K-S-C-H-A-E.com. Thanks.